0: Hi, welcome to the new Eisner Amper ESG in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Joan Michelson. One of the questions we hear a lot is, how do I know if I need ESG? What does it matter to me? Let's say you're the CEO, the chief financial officer, or the VP of finance, or a similar role. You've lately been hearing the acronym ESG bandied about, but you're not really sure what it means for your business. You hear it stands for environment, social, and governance. Maybe you listened to our previous episodes, but you don't really know that it fits with your business or what it means that you should do or your business should do. Let's say you know you're doing your best to reduce energy use and keep those costs down, like you want to keep all your costs down. But beyond the environmental stuff, it's not really on your radar. You don't really think it applies to you, but frankly, you're not sure. And you're hearing about these reporting uh, requirements coming down the road. Maybe some people on your team are asking you if they should report on these issues. That opens up a whole other set of issues. You can read articles and management journals about it, but you don't really know if you need to focus on it, if your business needs to have any real solid focus on it, among all the other pressing things you absolutely do need to do. So what should you do? What should you look at? Let's find out from two people who work with senior executives on exactly these issues every single day. I'd like you to meet Lorenzo Miranda, Managing Director of Eisner Ampers ESG and Sustainability Solutions, who brings about 25 years of experience in ESG and related financial issues, including domestic and international, by the way. And Danielle Bars, Director of Eisner Amper's ESG and Sustainability Solutions Practice, who brings about 15 years of experience in environmental management, sustainable business, corporate social responsibility, ESG, environment, social, and governance. She works with privately held and publicly traded organizations in a variety of industries, especially with manufacturing companies. So welcome to ESG in Focus, Danielle and Lorenzo. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you very much. thanks for having us.
2: thanks so much, John. You're welcome
0: so Lorenzo, I want to start with you. Um, let's start with the question that I asked in the introduction, so Let's say you're getting asked to report your carbon emissions or your diversity metrics, et cetera, um, or you're being asked to include them in a proposal. But if you're the CEO, you're the CFO, or even any other leadership role, people are coming to you and saying, hey, I'm hearing about this ESG stuff. Is this something we need to focus on? How do they know?
1: So that's a great question, John. So if we put ourselves in the shoes of the CEO, and you mentioned CFO or, or any other C-suite uh person in the company, let's talk about the CEO first. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the CEO. And the CEO has so many different challenges that this person faces every single day. And the number one concern that this person has is to keep his or her company afloat in the future, in the long term. What it means, means that the CEO is very much concerned about keeping steady cash flows repeatable, reliable, reliable consistent cash flows throughout the time in not only the short term, but medium term, but also long term. CEO cannot be a short sighted person, has has to have a long term vision. So in order to manage all this, this person has to look at all different stakeholders and all different challenges and manage all these expectations. And today, uh, of course, the CEO has also to manage the company under an inflationary uh, scenario. Also, a recession scenario that is coming, most likely will come. So all of these uh, questions related, okay, how can I be competitive? How can I make my cash flows steady? So being competitive means how can I manage my cost structure? How can I manage my, my business so that I can compete in prices, keeping the quality of my product and my, my services? So I cannot lose market share. So I have to be competitive. I have to be able to find new markets. I have to be able to penetrate these new markets and be able to sell my products and services in those new markets. In this new economy, in the economy that we have today, that's uh, it's very uncertain. ESG comes and helps this CEO to manage all of these expectations. Why? So the the CEO doesn't know. So you mentioned that oh, the CEO doesn't know that this person needs to hire uh, an ESG consultant or needs to implement ESG or needs to even think, think about ESG. But suppose that you're talking about price these days, and the, the CEO has to be competitive in pricing. So think about price, you have to think about your cost structure and your markup. So how you look at your compet- competitions, how the market is pricing, and then also you cannot be out of market you cannot be below market you want to be at market what will make the difference is your cost structure so you have to go back and look at your people you have to look at uh, the processes that you have you have to look at the your value chain the suppliers so all of this brings a bunch of risks that uh, will be will expose your wanted and so sought after Steady, steady cash flows. All of these risks that might potentially impact your ability to generate these steady cash flows in the future will stem from an environmental, social and governance uh, nature.
0: Can, can you tie those in, tie price and, and people and process and value chain into like where to, if, if somebody is not already familiar really with how that works, how would that tie in?
1: I suppose that my, my supply chain depends on a raw material that has a huge social impact. So I can, by understanding my, my life cycle or my, the product life cycle, my service life cycle, understanding my supply chain, I can identify this, what's called the hotspots, and identify and remediate those hotspots so that I can be more socially uh, responsible, uh, be less uh, negative impact in the society, or this is exactly the same narrative is valid for environmental. So if I have a, during my supply chain, during my life cycle, there is something that I am, is harming the environment, it's polluting the environment or damaging the society, I can change and be able to change that and make the process leaner, make the process more cost effective. So ESG will, will, will help you identify these opportunities to change your process, to identify how to do things better, how to do things in more efficiently in terms of, you can give examples here in, in energy, in the energy side. So you can have your process be much more energy efficient. At the same time, you are doing good for the environment and you are reducing costs. And if you translate that into a cost base, it's going to be a better pricing so that you'll be able to be more competitive and have the steady cash flows. So everything is connected in the end of the day. So that's where the CEO, and then you mentioned the CFO, the concern of CFO is to be able to fund the business in a more cost effective way. ESG will help the CFO to find these opportunities to fund the business in a most cost-effective way.
0: Okay, I really love that. So that's really important. I just want to emphasize this for a second. So what you're saying is, rather than looking at it as, oh, ESG is another thing I have to focus on, what you're saying is that ESG, looking at your business through the lens of environment and social and governance impact, can help expose risks and opportunities that you had not thought of that actually end up protecting your cash flow and protecting your business more broadly. Am I hearing that correctly? Exactly. Okay, good.
1: If you start with the risk management idea, you get to the same place. So you can start with, okay, let's identify risks and opportunities that will impact your cash flow. Now it's going backwards So I want to protect my cash flow. I want to protect my cost of capital. I want to protect the sustainability of my business. What is that I need to look at? Most of the risks that will impact that future cash flow will come from environmental, social, and governance uh, factors. And that's where ESG will give you a structure. It'll give you a process. It'll give a systematic way of managing those risks and, and, of course, identify the opportunities to mitigate those risks that you'll guarantee your sustainable growth and sustainable cash flows, reducing your cost of capital, reducing your risks. So the market will look at you and the capital providers, investors will look at you and say, okay, I will invest my money in you. I will invest my capital in you. you the capital that I'm investing in you will cost less because you are less exposed to long-term risks. So uh, you're going to be a much more reliable, much more uh, steady, and, and and it's going to be a good investment. You become a good investment in the long term by applying ESG uh, practices.
0: I love that because it's kind of like it's another way of doing business strategy planning. I, I really like that angle. So, Danielle, I want to get into like which industries make the most sense. And I'll give an example that ties in with with Lorenzo's example. So on my show, I interviewed a woman who's the CSO of a giant hotel chain, and she had been CFO. And to Lorenzo's exact point, she said, wait a minute, our energy costs are crazy. We've got to do something about it. And then she ended up using ESG principles to change how they do this. So that's hospitality, but what about, what what industries, I mean, that's just one example of one organization, right? So what industries are you finding are exploring ESG-related issues, or maybe they should just, they should be, and should be making it a higher priority because of the benefits Lorenzo's talking about of this kind of planning?
2: Well, ESG and sustainability and corporate social responsibility, for that matter, should always be a high priority, no matter what industry you're in. But to your point, sometimes which pillar, let's say, is a priority might depend on the stage of your journey, who your stakeholders are, or other factors like hospitality. So private market firms, for example, should always be incorporating ESG considerations in their due diligence processes and are doing so uh, with increasing frequency. And we've seen some hidden risks when companies are not looking at this kind of thing. Things like impact on local communities, health issues, economic. In terms of specific industries, though, real estate is a great example because real estate and buildings are 40% of the global carbon footprint. So an industry agnostic example might be even if you're not in real estate, Any company, I would argue, with significant real estate assets, if it's an office, if it's a manufacturing facility, uh, needs to pay attention to this kind of thing. And if it's not for hospitality purposes, or it's not for corporate social responsibility purposes, or due diligence purposes, it can also be to reduce the carbon footprint, to reduce your energy consumption through things like energy efficiency. And that, in turn, has some great side effects that some people don't see, like reducing operational costs. And so You can quite literally reduce the energy consumption and utility bill of any real estate asset. And then because I mentioned manufacturing, that is one of the highest intensity emission sectors out there. And so when you're looking at that kind of thing, a high carbon intensity industry, and that means in terms of Uh, CO2E, so carbon dioxide equivalents, and it's usually per square footage of floor space, for example, manufacturing and then real estate are two really good examples of industries that definitely should be looking at this and are also have the ability to be leaders in this space. And so we've talked a lot about, in addition to industries, kind of the B2B versus B2C breakout as well. So... When you're looking at working with other businesses, suppliers, distributors, contractors, marketing agencies are all deciding which companies and organizations to do business with based on some of these ESG factors that we've mentioned. And furthermore, governance are rapidly regulating companies' ESG compliance responsibilities, and that's also industry agnostic. So from things like, net zero targets, energy efficiency, to things that might not be on your radar, like human trafficking diligence. That all falls under ESG, and that kind of makes ESG this very central feature of our modern consumer marketplace and enterprise. And all of these growing demands for action by even just the general public or investors is really increasing the pressure on businesses to develop these very meaningful ESG-related corporate policies and also to credibly disclose results and properly report on it. And then on the flip side, of course, we also see these ESG being increasingly top priority for consumer-facing businesses. So while ESG issues kind of first gained a lot of attention from would-be investors and stakeholders in significant projects and things like that. That ESG is now equally important to consumers who are making purchasing decisions for ethical reasons. And so many consumers are more likely to purchase ethically sourced and sustainable products. Again, really important for anyone in the manufacturing industry, while also actively avoiding companies that score poorly on things like human rights and ethical supply chain metrics. And that is something that is outside of what we might generally think about in our own supply chain or in our own buildings. But these are all perceived as having negative Environmental and social impacts and they're equally, if not more important for both consumers and investors, because these are people that want to see their values in these environmental and social issues come to light. Some additional examples to close out is, especially in consumer markets, we've talked about carbon emission reduction targets, transitioning to alternative energy sources to get away from fossil fuels, managing the physical risks of climate change at certain production sites, let's say. Resource and waste management is another big one. Water management, supply chain due diligence. We talked about workplace diversity, inclusion, non-discrimination, DE&I. Responsible use of customer data is going to be a big one. Talent attraction and retention is not talked about enough. And so you know, a lot of these companies are trying to attract these skills necessary to drive ESG from the inside out. All of these are, I mentioned some industry and some industry agnostic reasons, but all of these kind of fall under some of the reasons why companies should be looking at ESG regardless of their industry.
0: Yeah, no, it's a good point. So just a couple of quick things before I go back to Lorenzo and, and explore one of the vulnerabilities that you mentioned. But in effect, what you're saying is, looking the, the issues that dovetail with ESG are the ones that also protect or grow your cash flow, like your market. You know, if you can't, if your RFPs are, and your clients or prospects are asking for this data and your talent or potential recruits are asking for your footprint or whatever, or your consumers are asking for this, you have to, you have to have the information. You have to know where it is. You have to be able to readily access it. And so even though you might have said, well, you know, this is something that these other people are doing, it actually, no matter what you're saying is no matter what industry you're in, you're going to be, if you're not already, you're being more and more asked for this data. And so you, you know, you really, that's the driver to protect your business and your cash flow uh, that Lorenzo was talking about, Right. Absolutely. Okay, good. And one just quick definition. Can you define CO2E for us, please?
2: Carbon dioxide equivalent. And so it all comes back to carbon. When we talk about greenhouse gas emissions, we are looking the ones that stay in our atmosphere and affect climate change the most. And the common denominator in all of those is carbon. And so we tend to measure those in CO2E. Carbon dioxide equivalent. The E is equivalence.
0: Lorenzo, I want to go back to you because one of the things that, that Danielle just talked about a lot, which I and you kind of alluded to, is this idea that the ESG framing can also show the vulnerabilities in your business and the vulnerabilities in your cash flow, right? So in many ways it shows it's a way of doing risk management, if you you know, to kind of shorten the sentence. So keeping your operations and cash flow resistant to the both the potential impact of climate change. And also, how climate change might affect as well. So, you want to, the financial, both financial stability, but also, I mean, just kind of as a basic example, if you're in hurricane country and, you know, massive hurricane hits and your business is out of, clo- you know, is closed or wiped out, there goes your cash flow, right? So, that's an extreme example that everybody can see visually. But what you and, and Danielle are saying, and I'd love you to expand on this a little bit, is, that it's actually, again, a business strategy for looking at managing your risk and managing your vulnerabilities.
1: Exactly, John. So that's the objective of a business manager. So if I'm running a business and if in life is exactly the same thing, we are always constantly managing risks. We have to identify the risks and then manage them and look at the causes, look at the, the factors that why this is happening, what could go wrong, and... Try to address those. In climate risks or ESG risks, is exactly the same thing. So the comparison, the analogy is valid. So the, again, if you put ourselves, again, in the CEO position and you have every year or every quarter, you have to review your strategy, you have to build your strategy for the short, medium, and long term, then you, what is that you do? You have to look at your business drivers. So your business drivers, you know your business drivers because you know your business You know the competition, you know your value chain, you understand the economics that are happening today, you understand what's going on in the political environment, in the social political environment, in the geopolitical environment. You understand all these elements that are external to your firm, and you try to see, okay, and ask yourself, what what could go wrong? What could happen? What could cause my cash flows not to be stable or predictable in the future, in the short term, medium term, and long term. So risk management is a process of asking ourselves what could go wrong. And, and by identifying what could go wrong, we identify the opportunities to mitigate and to address what could go wrong. So if I went to cross the street what is it I do? I look one side, I look the other side. I have to think about, am I in, in, in England? So I have to look at the other side. So, so I look both sides. So you, this is you managing risks of crossing the street. A business person is exactly the same thing. So you have to identify where the risks are coming from, if it's coming from the left or the right, so that you understand, okay, now I can cross the street safely. Exactly the same thing. So I identify the risks and by putting all these internal controls, I can make sure that at some, at some point you will guarantee these steady cash flows. So risk management is a process of knowing your objectives, knowing your value drivers of your business, understands the competition, understand what could go wrong and what you're facing outside, and try to internalize them into your business strategies. Now you internalize them into business strategies. You have to measure it. You have to identify and assess. So risk management has to do with assessment. You can do it qualitative or quantitatively. If you want to do it quantitatively, you have to measure the impact, the monetary impact of these different risks. If you don't know, you have to create scenarios. You have to create hypotheses, expectations. But if you know, if you have past history of those events... You can create statistics and start putting some models together. And you create a a narrative. Okay, if there is a hurricane in a specific geography and I have my business concentrated there, this will impact my future cash flows. And I don't know how much I depend on that specific geography for my business, suppose that it's 50% of my business and I know my habitat and it's 50% of my habitat means that if I lose that geography, if I lose that plant or lose that uh, that's a specific location, that will impact 50% of my earnings. So I know now that if I, under- I understand that, I identify it, okay, what, what, what can I do? What can I do in order to address that risk? This is a the physical risk, it's a climate risk uh, world, it's a physical risk, a hurricane. So, what did I do? I create a more resilient location or I have a recovery site. So, what is that I can do in order to manage this risk? So what are the opportunities that I see? in order to make sure that this risk is addressed, identified and assessed and measured and monitored through time. And the final thing that risk management has to do about is to report. So I have to report my exposure, I have to report how much I'll potentially be losing if that happens, what are the opportunities that I'm I'm creating in order to mitigate those risks. And one of the interesting and most used measures or metrics in order to measure those climate related risks is what Danielle was talking about, the carbon CO two equivalent.
0: Right. So this is so interesting because what you're saying is that the assessment to using ESG to assess your risk and your vulnerabilities to your cash flow. So if you're even just looking at it as a typical business person from cash flow management, that it will also surface what you can do about it and how you can mitigate it. And that mitigation become, strategy can become an opportunity in its own and also a way to be able to report on uh, the countermeasure if you need to do that reporting in one of the proposals, for example, that Danielle was talking
1: about. Right, and then most of these opportunities and, and most likely one hundred percent of these opportunities will be something that will in the end of the day have a positive impact in the environment and in society, so that I have a an exposure in fossil fuel energy uh, consumption I'm, I'm using this analogy, and I want to reduce that exposure what i'm going to do i 'm going to transition from fossil fuel to renewables, to something that is more energy responsible and energy efficiency in terms of moving away from my dependency on carbon to to transition to renewables. By doing so, I'm I'm being more resilient in terms of my cash flow. So I'm managing the risk, my exposure to any changes in carbon prices, any policy that will change, anything that will have a direct impact on carbon utilization or uh, carbon dependency. And now, by Changing to renewables, I'm doing good for the environment at the same time. So, that's uh, I'm benefiting my firm and creating uh, an opportunity for future cash flows more more reliable and less risky. And at the same time, I'm doing good for the environment.
0: Great. So, Danielle, you're on the front lines of this. Um, Companies are asking you very specific questions. So, talk a little bit about what are some of the questions that they're asking you. So, when they come in and they show whether it's a manufacturing business or as we said before maybe a hospitality or a real estate company um, how do they approach this like what are the issues that they're asking about that that's that shows you that they're thinking about this and that they're saying well I'm thinking I need to focus on this but I'm not sure the first question they should be asking is how important is responsible
2: business to us to your company. Why is it important? Why are we doing this? What is our purpose? Who are we trying to satisfy? Who wants to know? How do we measure success? How do we communicate this? How do we educate our people? Those are the questions that companies should be asking. But a lot of the times, the first question is, where do we start? So if you are asking this, the good news is you're in good company. Some other things that we get in addition to that when companies are kind of a little bit further down the line, what specific areas of environmental social governance issues should we be focusing on? Easy way to address that is through a materiality assessment. That's one of the first things that we do when you look at a company. It can be a sector-specific materiality assessment, which SAVB is great at, uh, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. Or there are other more sector agnostic ways of looking at this, like the GRI, which is the Global Reporting Initiative. And this is all part of kind of a current state assessment and gap analysis about what kind of things to focus on so that it's not overwhelming for people. The next question that people should be asking and often do ask is, who do we get involved from our team? So within these companies, do we bring in finance? Do we bring in HR, operations? And of course the answer is all of the above because teams should be working together to integrate ESG in the mission and the fabric of the organization for this to really work. And then after that you should be asking how do you organize yourself in order to now mobilize these teams to develop and deliver your ESG and sustainability strategy? How do you work out the structure? How do you work out accountability, the different platforms? So this would include things like what processes do we develop? What policies do we need to develop? What kind of strategies do we need to put in place? And what is our roadmap to get there? Part of the materiality part is how do we prioritize these steps? What needs to come first? And again, it always comes back to who gets in, who needs to be involved and who is accountable. If you don't have the accountability piece, it's just simply not going to mobilize. And then once we start kind of getting into the weeds a little bit, some of the more fun questions that we get to ask are things like how do we leverage the IRA to their advantage? So, the Inflation Reduction Act is a great one. And for anyone who doesn't know, the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, basically seeks to reduce GHG emissions by 40% below 2005 levels by 2030. And they are doing this essentially by making very significant investments in climate and environmental programs, providing tax incentives to boost the development and deployment of clean energy. So a lot of people are asking about that more. Along those lines, many folks are asking about the SEC climate rule. And that's a really important one because it did get pushed back. And this is not a reason to stop paying attention. In fact, what's going to happen essentially is that a lot of these companies that are asking about it now um, and are maybe pushing it off, there is going to be a spike in demand and not enough of a supply to get your company aligned with SEC climate rules and to get your ESG uh, data aligned with your finances. You cannot do this in three months. This is a six to nine month or more process if you haven't done it. And so some of the things that folks are asking surrounding the SEC climate rule is, do I start now? Do I wait? Absolutely start now. This is not a three-month process. It's not a month process. From start to finish, if you are not looking at all of the things that I just mentioned, so if you don't have a team in place, if you don't know how to mobilize them, if you don't know your risks and opportunities, because we've talked about it before, ESG is a risk management tool. If you don't know who's accountable, if you don't have the strategies in place, If you don't have any of the policies developed yet, if you don't know your roadmap to get there, all of these things are going to come up on you really, really fast. And we need to make sure that our clients and the people that we work with are giving themselves enough time to really address those things. And so that's something that's really important and that it is something that we should be considering and that a lot of folks are considering is kind of the timeline of the whole thing also.
0: Yeah, no, I'm really glad you, you brought that up. So what you're saying, too, is, you know, to Lorenzo's point about managing your cash flow and say you want to transition to cleaner energy, you may be thinking, oh, that's going to be expensive. But what you're saying, Danielle, is there's financial incentives to do this. There may be even money you can get through or tax credits you can get through the the new legislation, the fin- in, um, Inflation Reduction Act, the Infrastructure Act. As well, I would pose it that the that can offset your costs and actually make it easier. That's the point of this legislation is to make it easier for companies of all sizes, especially smaller and, and middle sized companies to be able to do to take these mitigation measures and do it sooner rather than waiting for the cash flow to be there. Absolutely. And the
2: IRA is just one example. There are a ton of great financing opportunities out there for smaller businesses too.
0: Yeah. So Lorenzo, I want to come back to you on something that she brought up. And and again, we can talk about this forever, but is she alluded to the supply chain, right? So a lot of people, especially as the SEC rules come up and as and people start to say, well, maybe I'll wait till they're together because I don't really know what I'm going to need to do. What you guys are saying is... A, get started now, and B, that it's not just what is going on in in your proverbial four walls. It's what's going on that feeds into and out of your business, right? So talk about this whole impact on both your supply chain, but also thinking about if you are in the supply chain of a larger company, you really need to do this because you may think, well, I'm a private company. I don't you know, they'll have to report, I'm not publicly traded, I don't have to report to the SEC. But if you are in the supply chain of an IBM or a Walmart or an Apple or whatever, who obviously has to report, then you have to pay attention to this also.
1: Absolutely. So suppose that you are a small company in the US today, and you are you have your own market, and you are very good at that market, and you know that market very well. And all of a sudden, you want to expand your business and you want to start dealing with uh, larger companies, as you mentioned. Or if you're already part of that larger company supply chain, your supplier or a service provider for that company, most likely this company, as you mentioned, will have to report to the SEC here in the U.S. because most likely this company is public or has a branch in Europe that has to report according to European rules. Or this company is European and has a a branch here or subsidiary here in the US and has to report according to European rules that we are much more advanced in this uh, aspect. So if you are a provider for this company, most likely you are already being requested to comply with their procurement rules. The larger companies are creating these new what's called responsible procurement rules that you, if you want to be part of that company, if you want to be part, a uh, business partner of that company, and provide that company, you have to comply with that. So otherwise, you won't be able to be competitive. And remember about the competition. That the competitive, being competitive, is one of the key objectives of a CEO. CEO wants to become competitive, and being competitive is to be able to look for and be penetrate these new markets. You won't be able to do that if you do not have your ESG practice together because one of the elements, critical elements of these larger companies and this responsible procurement process is to require that their suppliers are also aligned with their ESG practices, which are in a much higher level. So we see today smaller companies manufacturers, real estate, it's totally industry agnostic, service, itech tech, all of them having to go and adapt and align with these higher uh, standards of ESG disclosures, risk identification and assessment, having policies, having procedures in place. Otherwise, they won't be able to have access to these business or these new markets, or even the government. So if they want to deal with the government, soon enough the government will start asking for those requirements. And then just like the government is asking for cybersecurity. So those elements will go to the smaller companies. So now it's a matter of, shall we wait until and see... What's gonna happen? Or shall we get our act together today so that we prepare ourselves for this new market that is already there, is already happening. So to Danielle's point, it does not happen overnight. Implementing ESG practice and being at par with those higher standards does not happen overnight. It takes at least nine months, a year. And depending on the level of maturity that you want to to, to get, it can take even longer. So you should have started two years ago and now be ready for this new market. We know that supply chains are changing. So what globalization, that we knew what uh, the globalization that we had in the late '90s and beginning of 2000s, is changing. More and more these large companies are turning to domestic markets. So the large international companies, they are looking for those smaller providers, smaller suppliers locally. Here in the U.S., it's happening already that smaller manufacturers are becoming part of these larger supply chains that they were not before. So if you want to become part of and you want to compete in this market, and if you're a small or medium enterprise in the U.S., you have to start thinking about, you should have started thinking about this years ago if you haven't already. So that's the, that's the urgency of this matter, because if you don't do that, you won't become competitive you won't be able to grow your business in the same way as your competition, and this means in the in the environment that we operate today, you're out of business very quickly. So that's the urgency of this matter uh, because uh, it's happening. It's happening as as we speak.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up the European component and and the supply chain, and it's one of the things that I noticed with uh, the impact of COVID is that the companies that had higher ESG ratings also did better in COVID because they had already addressed a lot of these issues. They had suppliers that weren't as dependent upon, their supply chain wasn't as dependent on China and overseas markets, et cetera. They had more of a diversified supply chain. They had a more responsible supply chain. So they weren't as vulnerable to it, right? So they were, and that, but what you're also saying is that there's the opportunity to be in the supply chain of a larger company if you've addressed these issues. I mean, I remember Walmart came out with their supplier mm-hmm. sustainability yeah. contract like 20 years ago. Right. So you couldn't do business today. You can't do business with Walmart if you don't have these issues addressed, yeah. right? So what exactly. you're saying is yeah. another factor to say, well, do I need to do this is if you want to get a contract with a bigger company or you want to be a supplier to a Walmart or whatever, you have to, or you should have already been doing it, but at least start now, right? So, Danielle, I want to um, kind of button this up a little bit with and you. You alluded to where it should sit, and so I want you to talk a little bit about. You, you mentioned accountability a lot, which is really important. So I want you to talk about who should be accountable for this, but also they have all these different departments that should be involved because it it touches really every aspect of their business either the e part the s part and the g part but how do you determine who is holding it who is where it should be housed how do you have and how do you how do you know where the responsibility should be it's a lot of work to put on your people so how do how do you how do you put that together in a way that doesn't just add on a whole nother full-time job to your staff and then all but also have the accountability
2: it's a great question in terms of accountability leadership and ultimately the CEO is responsible because ESG really does need to be integrated in the fabric of your business in order for this to truly work so leadership ultimately is responsible but does that mean that they are in charge of developing and executing a strategy on environmental social governance issues and sustainability in an industry that can be very kind of overwhelming to people. No, that's why you hire help. And you wouldn't hire a doctor to do your taxes. So do you dump the ESG and sustainability strategy development development on an unsuspecting financial analyst or do you hire professionals, right? That's why we're here. That's what you do. That's what we do. Exactly. Exactly. So really, it could come down to, I mean, if you want to talk about numbers, it could come down to things like compliance and fines. If you really want to get into it, do you hire a consultant for $10,000 to look at local regulations and compliance considerations, or do you risk a $50,000 fine? And then, you know, upwards and onwards of those. So just like anything else, you want to hire professionals to look at the risks and opportunities, because if you don't, the risk is going to be 10 times higher. Um, And we don't want that. We want a competitive advantage. We want our clients to come out as leaders in the industry. We want them to come out as innovators. We want them to be able to stay ahead of the marketplace and things like carbon pricing and both local and federal regulations. We talked about uh, overseas regulations that's coming to the U.S. So all of these things are what professionals do every day and making sure that you're on top of all of those things is just not something that you would necessarily want to put on the financial analyst or an operations manager, but that's what we're here for, right? So in terms of kind of how do you tell, and we talked about this before, it's not going to take a month. It's not going to take three months. It's going to take a significant period of time and certain resources to be able to do that. So how do you tell if you need it? Do you care about the risk to your business? Do you want to reduce operational costs? Do you care about reducing your carbon footprint? Do you care about understanding policies and regulations? Like we talked about the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, Local Law 97 in New York. Do you want to understand these things? Do you need help reporting to the SEC, the TCFD, the GRI, Carbon Disclosure Project? One thing we haven't mentioned, I don't think yet, is is the concept of greenwashing. So right now, you know, if you don't get a third-party verification of some of this data, we call it greenwashing. It basically just means that you're not fully verified of the things that you're telling people that you're doing. But once this SEC climate rule comes out, that greenwashing is now fraud. So let's just keep all of this in perspective here of really how important
0: this is. This is something that is coming to the U.S. and this is something that's coming soon. So do it now. Don't wait till the last minute. Wow, that's a hell of a line. Once these SEC rules come out, that uh, greenwashing is fraud. Yeah, no, I mean, that really puts it in perspective. And it's really true. Just to wrap this up, how do you know you need help? If you have to report, I mean, you just delineated it beautifully, Danielle. So in addition to the threats and opportunities that you listed, Danielle, there's also... What Lorenzo mentioned of it being an overarching strategy that actually can help you manage your business on just basic business metrics, not even thinking about the do-good part of it, but just as a business strategy. Am I right?
1: You're absolutely right. So if you can do good at the same time, that's the basic principle of sustainability.
0: Fabulous. That's the holy grail, right? Well, we could we could go on forever and ever and ever and ever. But luckily, luckily there's other episodes, so we'll be able to go on a little bit a little bit longer and people can listen to the other episodes as well. So thank you so much, Danielle Bars and Lorenzo Miranda for another great discussion and bringing some clarity here. I know I learned a couple things. So if you want to talk to Danielle and Lorenzo about strategy, you know, whether you should take the ESG strategies and put those in place, if you have some reporting, if you have any questions at all, you can find them on the Eisner Amper website, EisnerAmper.com. And please listen to previous episodes, as I said, of ESG in Focus by Eisner Amper. Thank you for joining us. I'm Joan Michelson. See you next time.